The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. In today's business world, you need to have a unique edge in order to thrive. Your show host, Lisa Chickles, understands you have to live it to get it. And she is here to give what they couldn't teach you in business school. This is Chat with Chickles, featuring brand champion Lisa Chickles. In this program, you'll hear from the experts who are already making differences in their business while picking up strategies that can help you and your business survive and thrive. Now, here's your host, Lisa Chickles. Welcome. It's so nice to have you here today, and I'm broadcasting live from Toronto, Canada. Thanks for taking the time to join me today on this uh, day before the new year. Very exciting. Uh, What does it really take to lead uh, in today's business world? That's what we're going to be chatting about today. This show is for people who want to succeed in business, whether you're an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur. Last week, in the last two episodes, we were talking about innovation, how to get people to say yes to your ideas, despite some potential challenges with things like culture, structure, or how you might define your business model. And we also chatted about what to do after they said yes. How do you build on your idea, find cheerleaders, and get to the finish line? At the forefront of all of this innovation is really one word, and that's leadership. In order for you to be successful in delivering innovation, you need to be able to lead. Uh, Your team, your idea, your stakeholders, your organization, sometimes your board of directors, and your own business at times. So what does it take to be a great leader, and how do you know you have what it takes? There are a lot of books out there that talk about leadership, um, but the one that I have gone back to time and again is The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by John C. Maxwell. This book was recommended to me by a work colleague, and he said, Lisa, this is the best book you'll ever read on leadership because it covers everything. I thought, really? 21 laws? Are you kidding me? Isn't there just a top five list that I can look at and be done with it all? And he said, absolutely not. Leadership is not easy. And as the world around us becomes more complicated, so do the types of skills, values, and behaviors that you need to be able to tap into in order to truly lead today. I tapped into the laws in this book all all of the time, depending on the situation, and it has been a great resource for me. Just headlines that I can remember that I kind of keep in my head when I'm sitting in a situation or I'm facing something I haven't done before and go, hmm, what are some of those laws that I need to tap into in order to be successful? And these laws can work inside and outside of business. I mean, I'm a big believer that, you know, it's all relationships and, you know, all of these skills that you learn both in life and in business are transferable. So don't just think about it in your business world. Sometimes they really help when you're, you know, you never know in a family meeting when you might be trying to negotiate um, the sale of a family property. Uh, It's a business meeting. It's a little bit different, um, but some of these skills really come in handy. So given our time today, I won't be able to go through all 21, but I'm going to try to share my top four or five, or when I say top, the ones that I tend to tap into the most. 
Um, and these are the ones that have really helped me out in situations. And of course, once I get my website all updated and organized, I'll be able to post all of these 21 laws for you and hopefully a link to uh, Maxwell's book uh, so that you can read them at your leisure and then think about them when you need them. So these are the ones that I'm going to chat about today. Uh, the first one, the law of influence. And they're not necessarily in a particular order. It just worked in the flow of, uh, of putting this together today. The law of navigation, the law of buy-in, the law of intuition, and if time permits, the law of the big mo. And not to, not to keep you on tender hooks there, when they talk about the big mo, they mean momentum, the power of momentum. So we'll start with a high-level overview of each of these laws of leadership and then delve into them in more detail and pull out some example from Maxwell's book, also some examples from the business world today, and then, of course, my own experience in how I've been able to use these in helping me through some pretty difficult situations. They always helped. The outcome wasn't always successful, but certainly those laws of leadership had helped me get through some pretty difficult times. So the first one, the law of influence. In Maxwell's book, he states that the true meaning of leadership is influence, nothing more and nothing less. And he uses the comparison of Princess Diana and Prince Charles in his book. He said, her husband had everything, wealth, privilege, position, and royal title. Yet instead of him, Princess Diana won over the world. And why? Because in his mind, she understood the law of influence. He notes that titles buy people time to either increase their level of leadership or erase it. In Diana's case, it provided her with a platform for her causes. And once she lost her royal title, her leadership through influence is what sustained her in the eyes of the public. So something to think of. And I thought, wow, what a really interesting example to use because you don't really think of that as a business, but it's definitely leadership. In terms of my own experience in today's business world, uh, leading through influence instead of authority is critical. And I've talked about that in the last few shows, few episodes about this concept of leading through influence versus authority. There are so many multiple stakeholders. Um, there are so many multiple stakeholders today, groups that need to be considered. There's an aversion to risk, which means decisions are scrutinized even more than before. Those that are able to lead through influence I believe will be more successful in the end because influence has staying power. People haven't just said yes because they felt like they had to. They've said yes because they actually believe in you, the leader, and your vision. So let's refer back to that example of the brand and integrated national fundraising campaign that I did for that not-for-profit organization. Sure, I had the platform, a title. I was a VP of a regional office with a national mandate. But as I mentioned last week, I really had no official authority, meaning no one really had to listen to me. No one really had to do what I said. I didn't, I had a title, but I certainly didn't have authority. So I had to tap into the law of influence. That's what, that's the only thing that was really truly available to me. I had to use that to convince people who did have the ability to say yes. Um, I had to find a way to understand what their issues were and how I might be able to address them. And that was how I had had to use influence or the law of influence in order to gain people's trust and to help lead them towards a positive outcome. I don't think it's that uncommon today. There's, As I said earlier, there's so many multiple stakeholder groups that you need to be able to tap into. And I really think this law of influence 
helps you a lot when you're trying to gain buy-in to ideas. Maxwell talks about having to work hard to gain influence. And this is similar to the idea that we talked about last week from uh, Wydell around the concept of overdue. He spoke about in his book that you need to be prepared to overdo, to do the hard work in order to lead and bring your projects and your ideas to the finish line. Using authority may be faster. It feels like an easy answer. Okay, I'm the boss. Just do what I tell you. But it doesn't have staying power. It might work in the short term, but maybe not in the long term. True leadership cannot be assigned or appointed. It has to be earned. A title can buy you time, as, he, as Maxwell said, to either increase your level of influence with others or to erase it. Practicing the law of influence is critical to being a good leader today. That's certainly my perspective. The next law I want to talk about is the law of navigation. Anyone can, what he, Maxwell says in his book is anyone can steer the ship, but it takes a leader to chart a course. He used it as an example um, of two explorers in uh, 1911, so going way back, and they wanted to be the first people to reach the South Pole. And there were two leaders of those expeditions, Amundsen and Scott. And they were, they were both very good at what they did. They had both were navigating and they were steering a course, but one of them actually charted a course, and that was Amundsen. And what he did was he was the successful map navigator. He mapped out every step of the journey, thinking ahead to supplies that would be needed and the capabilities of the people on his team. Maxwell said that leaders see the whole trip in their minds before they leave the dock, or they see the whole vision in their mind, or the plan to get to the vision in their minds. They have a vision for their destination. They understand what it'll take to get there. They know who they need on the team to be successful, and they recognize the obstacles long before they appear on the horizon. Leroy Eames, who uh, Maxwell also quotes in his book, he says of leadership, um, he says, a leader is someone who sees more than others see, who sees further than others see, and who sees before others see. So an interesting concept. And when I was reading it again to refresh my memory for pulling this together today, I was reminded by uh, a speaker that I saw at Procter & Gamble. I had worked on the Procter & Gamble business for about three years, and I was one of their agency representatives, a great organization. I learned so much in that time. And they had brought in a sociologist uh, to come in and help us what they called raise our sights on our communication. How could we take our advertising to the next level? And for those that don't know, a sociologist is sort of studying different societal groups, um, and they tend to define them based on, you know, the level of technology, communication, and the economy at the time. She had talked about hunters and gatherers. Basically, the hunters and gatherers, they they were kind of in those early days, right? So this is before the, the certainly in, before the industrial and the information age, but basically. Um, their main focus for food production was the daily collection of wild plants and the hunting of wild animals, hence hunters and gatherers. She said a lot of the things that we do today um, and how we behave can be traced back to certain points in history and different ways that societies have um, grown up and how they manage you know, their societal environment has actually translated to how we today still manage ours. And one of the things that she noted is Back then, one of the criteria for their, for leadership was height. 
So the actual height of the person. So the tallest person in the community tended to be the leader. So why was that? Because they could see the furthest. They could see the enemy coming. And today, we still choose leaders who can see the furthest. We just think about it in a different way. We think about them being able to see the future, the visionaries, the people who can see what's coming. They understand the trends, the situation, the people, the resources. And they can look ahead and see what might, what might be the next opportunity and then build the plan to get there. So from some of my personal experience, I think about that lottery product that we launched um, a few years ago when I was working for the not-for-profit. I have to say, I don't think we saw everything that could happen. I don't think we had that kind of experience and insight. But we had enough, and we had enough understanding of the law of navigation that we certainly created and charted a course. We had a plan. You know, we worked it out to the most minute detail, and we had contingency plans. That is what you have to do when you want to lead. You have to navigate and chart a course, not just steer. You need someone who's going to take the time to painstakingly consider all details. This reminded me of an interview that I had for a job at a leading U.S. advertising agency. And the person interviewing me said, don't you think you're overthinking the strategy a little bit? For context, I was in the middle of explaining the portfolio strategy for an over-the-counter stomach remedy. Very interesting stuff. And how each of the formats or sub-brands, so your liquid format, your tablet, and other line extensions, would be positioned under the master brand and how they all link together. I, when I was explaining this to her, I saw her eyes kind of glaze over. I thought, oh, is she tired or does she not into what I'm saying? And, and that's when she said, you know, don't you think you're overthinking the strategy? And my answer was, I don't think you can overthink strategy. This is the time to think and plan. You don't want to solve the strategy through the execution. It's a very expensive and very costly if you make a mistake. This interview reminded me that not everyone takes the time up front to plan, to make sure the strategy is sound before they launch. People get impatient. It feels boring and that it's taking too long. They just want to get to the fun part, the launch, the tactics. They just want you to do it. But of course, we all know and experience in business that just doing it sounds great. But if you haven't done the planning and the forethought, there's a ton of obstacles that can come into your way. You know, I can see that we're coming up on a break. So why don't we take a break in a few in a few seconds here, and I'll come back and give you some real-life examples of organizations that tried to launch their products, both one in Canada and one in the U.S., and how maybe they didn't chart the course or didn't fully tap into the law of navigation. So we'll be back in a few minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Take your business to the next level. Deliver more growth to your bottom line and bring innovation to your organization. Visit LisaChicklesConsulting.com. Lisa Chickles Consulting will work with you to unearth your brand's potential to drive business results. Lisa works with the top brands in the corporate and not-for-profit sectors to develop strategic plans to ensure success. Bring a fresh and original perspective to your business. Visit LisaChicklesConsulting.com. That's LisaChicklesConsulting.com. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into Chat with Chickles. To reach Lisa and her guest today, please call into 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send Lisa an email to chatwithchickles at rogers.com. Now, back to this week's show. Great. Thanks for coming back. And we are chatting about leadership and we're looking at John C. Maxwell's book, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. So far, we've covered the law of influence. So that's, in his mind, the true measure of leadership is influence, nothing more and nothing less. And we talked about the difference between leading with authority versus leading through influence and how influence has staying power and how leadership through authority can work in the short term, but not necessarily in the long term. And we're in the middle of talking about the law of navigation. So his point was anyone can steer the ship, but it takes a leader to chart a course. And we were just, I was just about to talk about a couple of examples in the market, in the market recently, I guess I'd say over the last couple of years. So over the holidays, I was with my brother and his family in New Jersey. And we were actually on a drive in the car in our drive into New York for the evenings. Lovely, lovely evening, I have to say. And we talked about these kinds of issues. Now, I don't want you to think that all we ever do is talk about business, but we were just talking about my show and my niece was in the car and she's now in business school. So it made for quite a lively discussion. And one of the things that we talked about a lot was how things like mergers or product launches or expansions into different markets seem to fail because people haven't taken the time to think through the details, especially around the systems. So the pricing and the distribution. Sometimes this feels like the unsexy part of the business, but it is the critical part of the business. Remember that UPS case study that I talked about where they figured out how to actually save money, reduce their carbon footprint, and create safer routes for their drivers by making sure all of their routes were only a right-hand turn. That's a system thing. That's not a marketing thing. It's not a branding thing. That's someone sitting there going, hey, wait a minute, maybe there's an easier way to do this, or let's think this through. So one of the examples that we talked about in the car was Target, a much beloved brand in the U.S. and beloved for some Canadians. And they tried to launch their brand in Canada but were not successful. And it just so happened when I was on my flight home returning to Toronto, I was sitting beside someone on the plane who had been a buyer for a major clothing retail brand. And she said, Lisa, I could have told you that was going to fail long before they launched. And I asked her why. And she said they did not think through the details, the distribution challenges, pack sizing and labeling and the rules and regulations in Canada versus the U.S., And this caused major delays in shipping, and the end result to the customer were empty shelves. Now, I'm sure there were other reasons why Target had not been successful in their launch into Canada. But from a buyer's perspective, this is what she saw in their lack of navigating and fully charting a course. 
And just so you don't walk away thinking that Canadians have it all figured out, we also failed at our initial attempt at expanding our brand, Tim Hortons, into the U.S. So for those that don't know, Tim Hortons is like a Dunkin' Donuts, I would say. So it's a coffee shop and a bake shop. And for very similar reasons, not thinking through all of the details, things like cup sizing, The sizing of cups in Canada was very different than that in the U.S. Or things like how customers like to pay in the U.S. using a credit card, which wasn't as prevalent at the time here in Canada. Certainly we used it, but not for small items like that. So not charting the course and not tapping into the law of of navigation, really, for both of those organizations, it really didn't help them to succeed. And in both cases, they failed. Now, Tim Hortons was in a position to be able to kind of, you know, realign. They've gone through a merger with the owners of Burger King, and they're in a totally different position now. Um, And they they hadn't expanded, perhaps, as far and as wide as Target had. But in both cases, as an outsider looking, you're thinking, why didn't you take the time? Why didn't you think through all those details? And sometimes it's things that you just can't see because your perspective The way you're looking at it doesn't allow you to see it. Maybe they didn't have the resources in Canada to help them understand some of those potential barriers and pitfalls that they might run into. Maybe they were doing it too quickly. Maybe people were getting bored with the planning and just wanted to get on with the excitement of actually launching. So I'd love to chat more about these two examples on a future show, and I'm hoping I can convince my niece to come on, and perhaps she can give us the business school perspective on what happens. I think that would be kind of fun. The next law is around the law of buy-in. In reading Maxwell's book, he talks about people buy into the leader first, then the vision. Maxwell notes in his book that many people approach him when he's doing his leadership seminars and ask him about vision. They will tell they will tell him their vision. Maybe it's a half-baked idea or there's just still germinating, not sure where it's going to go. And their question inevitably goes to, do you think my people will buy into my vision? Do you think they'll follow me? Do you think that they're going to believe in what I have to say and therefore I will be successful? And he says, first tell me, tell me this, do your people buy into you? He states that that most people have it backward. They believe if the cause is good enough, people will automatically buy into it and follow. But that's not how leadership actually works. People don't at fir- people don't at first follow worthy causes. They follow worthy leaders who promote worthwhile causes. I know that's a lot of words there, but basically what he's saying is they're buying into the leader first and then the vision. So he notes that if you have not built the credibility, people will not go along with you. So I just want to tap into an example um, that I had experienced when I was launching that brand and integrated fundraising campaign in that not-for-profit organization. People had bought into the idea that I presented. They had all agreed in principle, that launching a national brand and integrated fundraising campaign was the right thing to do for the business. They had bought into the vision. What I didn't realize, and I didn't think any of us realized at the time, was that they were not only buying into the vision, they were also buying into me as the leader of that vision. We had found, we had found this out when we made a leadership change partway through the project. If you recall, we were also launching the lottery product and this at about the same time. So it was a lot, a lot of things and a lot of <laughs> things to keep moving. So what we had decided to do was to split the leadership. One of my colleagues took over leadership of the brand, I'll call it the brand campaign for short, and I continued to lead the launch of the lotter- new lottery product. Well, unfortunately, in six months, the project 
came back to me. And it took a pause. Why? Because the people who had the power to say yes did not buy into the new leadership. The vision had not changed, but the leader had changed. And then the project had to take a pause while we regrouped. I don't think any of us realized that that's what we were doing. I think we just all thought this is the best way to keep projects moving. But it was a it was a pretty big decision for people. It was a big investment. We hadn't done something like this before. And making a leadership change midway through a project, when people haven't had a chance to get to know you, to buy into you as a leader, there is risk there. And that, that it's, it's a great thing to remember. In Maxwell's book, he has a chart that kind of summarizes when to make a leadership change versus a visions change. And I'm going to summarize it here. He states that if people buy into the leader but not the vision, get another vision. And if people buy into the vision, but not the leader, get another leader. So it's kind of so basically what he's saying is yes, the vision matters, but the leader matters just as much. And make sure that you've got the right leader with the right vision, and then you're likely to have success. I hope that you can see from these laws of leadership that they can come in handy when you're faced with particular issues or situations. As I said, I don't think any of us really realized the impact of the leadership change. I think we all thought we were, oh, we're already there. What's the big deal? Um, and I guess what we should have done is gone back to his book and, and uh, taken a look at that, the law of buy-in, and that they buy into the vision isn't enough. You need to also buy into the leader. So now we're going to move on to, so we've talked about the law of influence, the law of navigation, and the law of buy-in. Now I want to move on to one of my favorites, and you'll see that because I've got lots of examples on this one, of the law of intuition. According to Maxwell, leaders solve problems using the law of intuition. Leadership is more art than science. The principles of leadership are constant, but the application changes with every leader and every situation. I think that's why he had to write 21 laws, because there's so many different situations. I think that's also why they can't, they're not in a position to teach all of this to you in business school, because you couldn't possibly teach every single combination and permutation. You have to really experience it to get it or be able to tap into some theories or laws of leadership, and be able to apply them to the specific situation. So because of that, that's why you it requires intuition. Leaders see everything with a leadership bias, and as a result, they instinctively, almost automatically know what to do. The best way to describe the bias is to get a handle on what he calls intangible factors. Understand them and work with them to accomplish your goals. So these are the kinds of intangible factors that he talks about. He said leaders are readers of their situation. They're readers of trends. They're readers of their resources. They're readers of people. And they're readers of themselves. So intuition, you know, you can call it gut instinct. You can call it critical thinking. There's lots of different ways of phrasing it. And and it feels like people are just making this stuff up as they go along. But it's actually coming from a range of experiences and education and different scenarios that they've been in, and having a sense of self as well, really understanding sort of what your strengths and weaknesses are, and being humble enough to know when you don't know something, and being honest enough and seeking out help, as we talked about in one of our earlier discussions around, you know, a problem shared is a problem solved. How am I reaching out to other resources to help me solve this problem? Because I don't seem to know it. And that's okay. You can't possibly know everything. That's why we work in teams. So basically, the best training I received on leadership, I have to say, was in the advertising industry. 
I think it's because it's such a fast-paced business. There's a lot of pressure and there's lots of multiple projects and clients all moving at the same time. So it can create a pretty stressful environment, but it also creates an incredible learning environment. And that's, that's where I got my best learning around leadership because you're leading all the time. You're leading your client your direct team, so the people that report to you. And you're also leading kind of your extended team. So you might be working with a creative team, a strategic planner. You might be working with a media team, PR team. I mean, however your organization is structured, you're tapping into these multiple resources that you you need to lead. So absolutely, you're getting that incredible um, experience of leading when you're in an advertising agency. And the best environment when you're leading is really a pitch. So a pitch is really when multiple agencies are competing for the same business. It could be a project or the entire business. And when I say business, I mean a client like McDonald's or Tim Hortons or Target, some of the ones that we've talked about today. It's such a concentrated period of time that you have the opportunity to learn in a short period of time, which is a great way to learn. It's almost like, you know, <laughs> it's almost like going to a boot camp, right? Like you just <laughs> in six weeks, you better learn this, right? Um, there's a great deal of pressure and leadership ability that comes to the forefront when you're pitching. And I was involved in three pitches um, in my experience at an agency. One was for a major manufacturer of sports footwear and apparel. One was for a major packaged goods company, and the other was for a financial institution. So very different categories. And I'm going to chat when we come back after our break about my personal experiences in tapping into that law of intuition when I was in a position and when we had to pitch those three businesses. So we'll be back in a few minutes. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Take your business to the next level. Deliver more growth to your bottom line and bring innovation to your organization. Visit LisaChicklesConsulting.com. Lisa Chickles Consulting will work with you to unearth your brand's potential to drive business results. Lisa works with the top brands in the corporate and not-for-profit sectors to develop strategic plans to ensure success. Bring a fresh and original perspective to your business. Visit LisaChicklesConsulting.com. That's LisaChicklesConsulting.com. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune into Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned into Chat with Chickles. To reach Lisa and her guest today, please call into 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send Lisa an email to chat with chickles at rogers.com now back to this week's show and we're back and we've been chatting about leadership and what it takes to succeed in business today 
We were reviewing the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership uh, by John C. Maxwell, an excellent book on leadership. And also chatting about my experience and tapping into those different laws at different times in my career, depending on the circumstances. So far, we've talked about the laws of influence, the law of navigation, and the law of buy-in. And right now, we're talking about the law of intuition and how using that law and tapping into your intuition helps you lead in some pretty difficult situations. And I was just about to chat about the three different uh, pitches that I had done at an advertising agency and how I was able to tap into those different laws of leadership. So in all of these situations, uh, what's important to know is that I was the leader on that business. And what that meant was that I was accountable to make sure that we were ready for that pitch. Certainly, I had the resources of the organization with me, but it was my accountability to make sure that we had done all of the great navigation work that we needed to do in order to be successful on the day. So in the case of the major manufacturer of sports footwear and apparel, We were the incumbent for a new project. So incumbent means that we already had the account and we had to prove to the company that we were worthy of this new assignment. And and of course, they were looking at other agencies as well. And the risk would be that we would lose the business. So that's, that's always the pressure that's on in these pitch situations. There was a new client, um, and we had a new creative director, and I had a new boss. So again, a lot of new, and we're going to chat about that in one of my shows around teamwork, about the four stages of teamwork, and what happens when everybody's new, um, and maybe we're all just being maybe a little bit too polite and not challenging each other enough, and therefore maybe not getting to great performance as we should as a team. So basically, as I said, there was a new client and creative director, And this was a new assignment. So it was a new area of the business that we were tapping into. So we also needed to understand and learn that for our client because they were also learning. So you should also know that this was an important piece of business for the agency. It was a very high profile piece of business, not necessarily a high revenue generator, but it had a lot of brand recognition and we'd had the, the account for some time. We'd also been very successful Um, when this brand was launching into Canada and had helped them a lot with that launch and had won quite a few awards. So there was really a history there and therefore there was a lot of vested interest from the organization all the way up that we be successful on this pitch. So when this project came up, I I think what had happened too with the agency is You know, different leadership on the client side can bring out different resources on the agency side. And perhaps we'd lost a little bit of our edge through some of those leadership transitions. So when the project came up for review, we really needed to tap in to the law of intuition. We really needed to think about, okay, what is going on here? What do we need to change in order to be successful? So for me, what my intuition told me was that the client wasn't happy, clearly, or why would they put up for review? You could also say they did it just to, you know, suss out the market and see if there were some other ideas out there. But there was some intuition in me in reading the people in the situation that I felt that the client maybe wasn't 100% comfortable with our new creative director. And this was really just, you know, it wasn't anything that was said out loud. It was more felt. I also had sort of the benefit of of hindsight, meaning I had worked on the account longer than some other people. So I had seen things start to shift, which gave me a clue that perhaps the new creative director wasn't the right resource in this situation. So I, I brought this insight, this intuition to my boss, who was new to me, to the organization, 
and said, you know, I really think we should bring back one of the creative people that worked on the account in the past. I really think his knowledge of the brand, his passion for the brand, and just, just his overall style was the right fit for this new client. And my new boss had challenged me on that. I mean, there, there were lots of reasons, um, you know, do you, again, like the whole leadership thing, do you change people mid-course? Is this the right thing to do? And, you know, and also sensitivities around making some of those changes. So what we agreed to is that both creative people would be in the meeting. One is the director and one is one of the people of the creative team. And in the end, unfortunately, we, d- we did not win the business. Um, it went to another agency. But what validated for me the law of intuition, and as I said to you in my last show, sometimes, you know, trust your gut. If it tells you to get on a plane, you get on a plane. In this case, trusting my intuition that maybe the new creative director wasn't the right fit for this client uh, was the right instinct to have and the right law and tapping into that law of intuition. Because the client called my new boss and said, you know, no, you didn't win the assignment. Um, But where were you keeping that creative guy? Why hadn't we met him before? He would have been perfect for our business. So sometimes it's tough, right? You you might have an idea, you're working in a team. I remember someone, uh, someone that I was helping and she just graduated from university and she said, you know, Lisa, I was working in this team project and people weren't listening to me. She goes, what do I have to do to make people listen to me? And I'm like, you know what? It's not that easy. If Sometimes if you have an idea or your instinct tells you one thing and everyone else is saying something else, it's tough. It's tough to get people to align. But what I'll say to you is trust your instincts and do whatever you can to influence people to agree with you so that you can have a positive outcome because the worst feeling is when you sit there going, I knew that was going to happen. I should have said something and I didn't. So just keep that in mind. Um, And the second example, this case was uh, a major packaged goods company and they had merged with another packaged goods company. Very complicated. And they were really looking for an advertising agency for part of their business, so for half of their business. And they were putting this out to pitch. And the way that they had positioned it to us, who was the incumbent, is the current business isn't at risk. You have it. You're doing an amazing job. Our question now is, you know, you know, are you the agency that we want to take on the other part of our business? So you have to know that this was a very um, high-profile pitch for us as an agency. There were people flying in from our head office, from the client's head office. This was a big decision because they had merged as a company. So people were watching how this would be handled. You know, would the new client's Uh, opinion be taken into consideration or was this just a question of takeover versus merger so as I had said it was pretty intense time Uh, lots of people had to be on our game we had to navigate our way and make sure we had a game plan and then one of the clients in the meeting turned to me and said because of course I was leading the discussion at this point and he was from the head office and said So, Lisa, would you recommend that we have one agency or two at the end of this process? And I'm like, boy, that was a big question. So, I mean, the risk could be that you would have to forfeit the current business if you said, I think you need one. But again, when I had an, and I could see (laughs) the other people on my team start to sweat and go a bit gray and pale. (laughs) And it was, and I really, it it was one of those things where it was an instinct, it was tapping into that law of intuition, you know, deep breath, took a pause and thought, you know what, 
I have an advantage over some of the people in this room and that I've worked with this client for four years. I knew them. I knew their culture. I knew their values. I knew that they believed in the spirit of candor, challenge, and courage. It's one of the key things that uh, they brought to their organization to make sure we were had enough productive tension that we were challenging new ideas and getting the best product possible. So I knew that they would want an honest answer from me. And then that's what I did. I said, actually, I think you should have one agency. I did think that everybody was going to pass out at that moment, but I had to kind of stick with my instinct. Um, I did couch it a bit, you know, being a bit of a scaredy cat and uh, also a bit of a diplomat and allowing the team to jump in if they completely disagreed with me or they read something in the meeting that I didn't see. And I said, look, this is my opinion. I'm not saying it's the opinion of the agency. This is just based on my experience. And I basically said to them, the reason I'm saying one agency is you're going through a merger and your your goal is to bring people together, not to pull people apart. And if you start bringing in different agencies for different parts of your business, you're maintaining that separate culture, that separate structure, and potentially creating a them and us environment. Now, some people might say, well, you're creating a competitive environment that will lead to, you know, better work and a better product. Maybe, but at this stage of the merger, my gut was telling me, my the law of intuition was telling me that these organizations needed to come together. And then I thought that we as an agency could actually play a role in helping make that happen. And that's what I said. I, I, I you know, again, in all humbleness, I mean, we're not the ones handling this merger. It's a very smart organization. They brought in lots of um, consultants with great expertise in this area. But we're working with the team every day. We're working with every brand manager, every VP of marketing. And we have an opportunity at what I would call that ground level to be reinforcing the values of the organization. That if some competitive talk starts like, well, why isn't my project moving instead of Joe's project or something like that, we're in a position to kind of get get that at the ground level and say, you know what, it's not about that. If we need more resources, we'll bring them in. And the at the end of the day, okay, so not to leave everybody in suspense here, once the, you know, the rest of my team composed themselves and stopped sweating, um, the good news is, is they did, we did win that pitch and they did have one agency. And I believe that we played a part, a small part in helping them with that merger and helping them to make sure that that culture was translating across all parts of their business. At the time, this organization was considered having one of the um, one of the best mergers on record. As as you may be aware, when companies merge or you know when they're launching and those and you're in those tough situations, sometimes you see a decline in business results. Usually, the first takes three years for them to work through all those system things that we talked about, and in this case. They not only didn't have declines, they had growth, and they didn't lose any of their top talent. So I think a great example of an organization that really did great navigation work to make sure that they were um, tapping into the law of navigation, making sure that they were merging in the right way. And we really felt that we played a role. And as I said, you know, in some small way, we played a role. I would say another example is um, 
was in the financial institute, was for a financial institution. We basically had just started with the agency and we had 90 days to turn around the business or we were going to lose the account. And what that means for people is our contract had a 90-day clause that we needed 90 days notice. And clearly, um, the client had become dissatisfied with the agency. I was new. I just started. I had a new boss, a new client, didn't even know my team, really didn't know how we were going to make this happen. Um, But again, saw it as an incredible learning opportunity. And basically, in, in that scenario, the client had also brought in a consultant um, to help, you know, manage the overall process, make sure that it was being done in a fair and equitable way, because this is a big decision. We had been this company's agency for years and making a decision to say, no, they're not the right ones and we need to go somewhere else was a big decision. But also if the agency wasn't performing, that was up to us to fix and address. So in this case, we tapped into kind of that law of intuition And for me, there were kind of three things that I looked at. I said, okay, the whole concept of, you know, leaders read, read yourself, read your resources and read the situation. And for me, my advantage came in, don't attach yourself to the past performance issues. So know yourself and don't be attached to the past. Build a team that can deliver on client expectations and learn from the consultants. So when we come back, I'll tell you a little bit more about how that all wrapped up and how that all took place and what the outcome was, and then tell you a little bit more about next week's show. Back in a few minutes. The business community's first choice in internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. Take your business to the next level. Deliver more growth to your bottom line and bring innovation to your organization. Visit LisaChicklesConsulting.com. Lisa Chickles Consulting will work with you to unearth your brand's potential to drive business results. Lisa works with the top brands in the corporate and not-for-profit sectors to develop strategic plans to ensure success. Bring a fresh and original perspective to your business. Visit LisaChicklesConsulting.com. That's LisaChicklesConsulting.com. If you are a beginning or aspiring entrepreneur, have you thought about a coach or mentor? For instance, think about sports figures who have successfully become entrepreneurs and leaders in business. They started out with a coach in their respective sport, and many work with a coach today to help them continue to achieve their goals. Listen for ESCN with host Michael Dawson and co-host Angelia Hobson and Diane Daniels. Tune in Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central, and 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business and rebroadcasts on Voice America Sports. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into Chat with Chickles. To reach Lisa and her guest today, please call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send Lisa an email to chatwithchickles at rogers.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hi, everyone, and uh, thanks for coming back. And we're chatting about leadership and those 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, the book by John C. Maxwell. 
We've talked about the law of influence, navigation, buy-in, and the law of intuition. And I was just finishing up on my uh, last experience of tapping into the law of uh, intuition and having 90 days to turn around a business or we were going to lose it. Talk about a great deal of pressure. One of the things that I tapped into was this idea of knowing myself and knowing that if I took all of the criticisms and the issues personally, it would be difficult for me to be successful because it would get in the way of me really hearing what the client had to say and how we needed to address these issues. I think, again, I had an advantage because I wasn't a part of the past. So when they said, you guys did this or they did that, it wasn't about me. I wasn't there. And it was it allowed me to kind of let that go, not be defensive, not try to justify why we did certain things. So it, it did, did give me that freedom. It also gave me energy, right, to be able to move forward. And, and that was a huge help to me uh, when we were looking at that 90-day review. The other thing I talked about was learning from the consultants. I think uh, reading the situation. In that situation, you know what? These were my guys. They were going to be there for 90 days. They weren't going anywhere. And unfortunately, part of their role was to attend all of our meetings and take notes. And then they would call me afterwards and tell me what I did wrong or what the team did wrong or what we should, or, you know, it was more in a critique area. And the first time I got that call, I was like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Like, I'm still trying to figure out where the washroom is. How am I supposed to, you know, to to be on that kind, have that kind of pressure? And then something tapped into me, and it was that idea of the law of intuition and understanding the situation. I said, you know what? These guys are actually pretty smart. I mean, they they've given me some, they've critiqued some things that I had to agree with. I was like, okay, you know, that's a fair comment. So then I thought, what if I make them? my best friend? What if I turn them into, instead of critiques, into cheerleaders? So we talked about cheerleaders and innovation in the last show and how they help you to get to the finish line. So what I did, and I had no idea if this was going to work and didn't tell anyone just in case it didn't. And I called them up and said, hey, you know, I just thought I'd give you a call. I had a meeting today. I saw that you were there. What'd you think? Uh, You know, am I getting any better? You know, have I improved in this area? Well, at first there was kind of silence on the phone. I think they were like, what? She's calling us? And then it was great because they were now able to impart their knowledge um, on me and say, well, actually, I thought you did a lot better job, but, you know, you still in turn leading these meetings, you need to know about X, Y, Z. And then I said, well, do you guys have any tools or any suggestions, you know, something that you think, you know, that I that I need to look at um, in order to, you know, kind of get this client into alignment and into agreement and they gave me tons of tools and suggestions. And now when I was standing up at the front of the room and I was looking at the back of the room where they were usually madly writing notes, they were looking up and smiling and nodding. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is great. I'm going to learn a ton here. And I think where I was on this account and this situation was, you know, if if I'm not able to turn things around and lead this to a positive outcome with the team, you know, we've done our best. But really, it's an opportunity to learn, right? There's only so much you can do. At the end of the day, I used to say, if they want to date other people, they need to date other people. I mean, if somebody doesn't want to be in a relationship with you, you can't make them be in a relationship with you. All you can do is your best understand what their challenges are, what they're concerned about, and try to address them. And then at the end of the day, it really is their decision. So the good news is we won the business, so we didn't lose the account. Yay! Because it would have meant jobs. It was one of the high, one of the two leading revenue uh, delivering accounts in the agency. So 
we not only save the business, but we also save people's jobs, which again is, you know, it's so important and you certainly feel that personal pressure. It also, um, also within a year, we had actually built the business. We had more clients within the same financial institution and had been quite successful with their business. So in the end, an incredible learning opportunity, incredible pressure, but a great end result. And in the spirit of leadership, I do want to talk about the boss that I had at that time because, again, remember, I was new and I really didn't know, did I have the right team? Did I have enough people? Did I have the resources that I needed? And he did something quite incredible. Um, he, he was an incredible instinctive leader and he definitely tapped into the law of intuition. And he stood, he brought everybody together at a company meeting and let everyone know that we were now in this 90 day review situation. And he asked the immediate team, the current team to stand up so that people knew who we were. And then he asked us to sit down and then he asked anyone who had worked on the account before to stand up. And then he had asked anyone, everyone in the agency to stand up. And then he looked at us and said, these are all of the people that you have to help you through these 90 days. As you can tell, I still get choked up when I think about it. Not only was it an incredible message and powerful leadership, but the visual and the energy was unbelievable. I think, you know, we'd all walked into that meeting feeling quite scared and defeated. And he really helped us all feel quite empowered and supported and that we were in it together. So an incredible leader. Now, I'm, he was certainly wasn't perfect. We argued a lot and we had a lot of what I'll call productive tension meetings. But in the in the area of leadership, he definitely was able to tap into a lot of those laws. So as we're summing up today, what did we talk about leadership and its importance? You know, we talked about innovation but at the end of the day, innovation only works when you got the right leader. And the ability to lead, it's not easy, especially today. That's why there's 21 laws. I wish there was a top five, but there's 21. So we talked about the law of influence. And remember, Princess Diana and Prince Charles. The law of navigation and those two explorers and one in 1911. And one that just steered the ship and one that actually charted the course and was successful. The law of buy-in, remembering that people buy into the leader and then the vision. And don't change that leadership mid-course. Uh, it, it can be tricky. Um, or at least make sure you've thought that through in the impact it might have on the team. And then, of course, finally, the law of intuition. And that leaders see everything with a leadership bias. And that idea of, you know, leaders reading the situation, reading the people, reading themselves, and, you know, reading the resources and reading the trends. And those concepts around tapping into the law of intuition, whether that's critical thinking or your gut and all those past experiences, because you couldn't possibly see every single situation in front of you. There's always going to be a twist. There's always going to be different characters, different players, different risks. And so being able to adapt and being able to apply those laws is really what's going to help you to succeed in business today. So next week, we are going to talk about teams. So now we've talked about innovation, we've talked about leaders. Now, what about the team that you work with that helps you to get there? What's that all about? How do you create those high-performing teams? How do you build trust? You know, I'm going to go through like a, there's eight, um, there's a checklist for trust and there's eight of them because trust is one of those things people go, well, just trust me. It's like, mm, trust is a big word. It's not something you just do. It's something you earn similar to leadership. So how do you earn trust along the way? with your clients, 
with your customers. You know, we look at some of the things in the news today. We think about Volkswagen and losing trust with their customers. What's their challenge to come back from that? How do you rebuild trust? And how are they going to go about navigating that plan and making sure they get to a successful outcome? We'll also talk about the four stages of teamwork, form, norm, storm, and perform. So the forming stage is kind of when you're getting to know everybody, and that's when you're new, and I think that's when you're at your most vulnerable. So there's so that's when you're sort of forming the team. And then there's the storm phase, and that's when everybody's kind of getting into their different roles, and they're starting to kind of jockey for position, and there's lots of arguments going on, and that's actually a really good time. This is where the productive tension comes in, and then people start to norm. People start to understand their roles and understand, you know, who's doing what and accountabilities and what the strengths and weaknesses are of the members of the team. Then you get into performance, and that takes time. So these pitch situations actually take that four stages and sort of put it on steroids, right? It really like ramps it up and amps it up so that you're doing that in a very concentrated period of time. And what a great learning opportunity. Yeah, it's a huge pressure cooker, but always great learning. And those are the best situations to learn from. And then the last thing will be around teamwork will be around, you know, becoming the corporate athlete. I had read this great article in the Harvard Business Review when I was working on the Nike business. And I thought, oh, athlete, I should probably understand this. And it really talked about the different things that an athlete goes through and how that can apply to business today. So if we think about it, you know, if you're running in an Olympic race, you know, there's a training phase and then there's a performing phase. And then there's a there's a celebration phase or dealing with a loss. And then there's a recovery phase. And sometimes we try to sprint a marathon. And sometimes we don't take the time to honor each of those stages. In the case of that financial institution where we were under a 90-day review, what my boss did, the one that I was saying was an incredible leader, is he made sure we celebrated. He made sure at the end of that 90 days that we got a memento that we could look at and remember what we had been through together and that we celebrated and we took a pause and we took a break and I went on vacation <laughs> and come back uh, hitting the ground running. So there's lots of those different things that we can learn from different articles and books that really help us to succeed in business today. So I really want to thank you for joining me today and listening about uh, leadership and how that can help you in your practice today. And hopefully you've learned something. You can reach me at chatwithchickles at rogers.com, like me on Facebook, connect with me on LinkedIn, follow me on Twitter, and check out my website at lisachickles, C-H-I-C-U-L-E-S, consulting.com. I'm your host today, and you're a part of Chat with Chickles, what they couldn't teach you in business school. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week and all the best for the new year. May you have much um, success and happiness in 2016. Thank you for joining us for Chat with Chickles. Please tune in again next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time for another edition with brand expert Lisa Chickles on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk again on the next show.